Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, B.C. For the next hour, you and I are going to discover some great jazz, including some on the fringes of the genre, sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. More on the saxophone today. So many things I didn't talk about in my first two episodes. In episode one, I talked a bit about Adolf Sax and his invention of the saxophone, which he patented in 1846. And I also presented nine different types of saxophones. Episode two, a bit of its use in classical rock and roll and how the saxophone evolved into a place of respectability in jazz and classical music. Today, I'll present some more great players and talk a bit about its role in modern classical or art music. Last week, I played some John Coltrane, and towards the end of his life in the mid-1960s, he got more and more into a type of free jazz. He also teamed up with a younger Archie Shep, who was a free jazz champion. One album that Coltrane and Shep put out, with each one doing their own set, was 1966's New Thing at Newport. I'm going to start out this episode with a track from Archie Shep's set from that album. And just to contrast the different ways that a tenor saxophone can sound, I'll follow it with something by the great Ben Webster. But first, here is one called Rufus Swung His Face At Last To The Wind, Then His Neck Snapped. Archie Shep. Thank <laughs> you. 
Mm-hmm. 
Ben Webster from a 1964 album called See You at the Fair with Hank Jones on piano, Richard Davis on bass, and Ossie Johnson drums backing up Ben Webster's mellow tenor saxophone. Before that, quite the contrast featuring Archie Shep. A tenor sax can sound either of those ways. With Shep on that 1965 recording was Bobby Hutcherson on vibes, Bar Phillips bass, and Joe Chambers drums. Ben Webster wasn't always smooth and sultry. He was also very capable of having the type of gruff style that Coleman Hawkins would use. But one saxophonist who was always smooth and laid back in his approach to improvisation was Lester Young who lived from 1909 to 1959 and was well known for his many recordings of Billie Holiday. It is said that his cool expression helped lead to the cool jazz movement. My theme song to Discovering Jazz is by Lester Young. It's called Ad Lib Blues, and he plays it with the Oscar Peterson trio, except it's not a trio. It's more like a quintet with Oscar Peterson on piano, Barney Kessel guitar, Ray Brown double bass, J.C. Hurd drums, and of course, the tenor saxophone of Lester Young. Let's hear the whole thing. Thank you. 
Adlib Blues, my Discovering Jazz theme song with Lester Young and the tenor sax. Today, talking about the saxophone, part three. And I promised you something about the saxophone in modern classical or art music. Let's hear from raconteur and saxophone fanatic Al Baggs from Peterborough, Ontario. The hated saxophone has graciously emerged from its old habitats, you know, the steamy, uh, smoky alcohol joints of speaky, pro, speakeasy uh, prohibition era and some of the cheesy bands, that, uh, dance bands of the era. And, um, and the, the saxophone has actually emerged onto the world's respectable music stage. Um, among the many modern composers who have been seduced by the saxophone are Eric Coates, uh, for example, his Saxo Rhapsody, uh, Raymond Ricker, who wrote a nice uh, jazz sonata for, al- for saxophones, uh, Michael Garson, who uses um, jazz styles to jazzify the likes of Bach uh, and Paganini, uh, and John Williams, the great uh, John Williams, who has written a fabulous concerto for alto sax and uh, orchestra. I listened to at least part of some of those works that Al Baggs refers to and decided to play Raymond Ricker's 1994 composition, his jazz sonata for soprano saxophone and piano. This is a recording by uh, Pavel Gastner on soprano sax and pianist Thomas Filipczak. This is just the introduction and allegro or dance macabre.
That's part of Raymond Ricker's jazz sonata for soprano sax and piano with um, Paul Gusnar on saxophone, soprano saxophone, and Thomas Philipsack on piano. It's an illustration of how the saxophone has made itself known in modern classical music. That composition was written in 1994. Thank you. Al Baggs from Peterborough for inspiring me to play it on this series on saxophones. Today is part three and the last part of the series. Let's have some more jazz saxophone greats. I want to talk about Wayne Shorter, an amazing saxophonist and composer with many, many of his tunes in the Real Book 6th edition, the Jazz Student's Bible. Shorter never played music at all until he was 14, and then it was a clarinet. But he was inspired by fairy tales, movies, outer space and fantasy stories, and the music of Stravinsky. Here's a composition inspired by the first one, The Story of Beauty and the Beast. Pianist Ron Drotos in his Journey Through the Real Book, a great series, by the way, where he goes through each tune in the in the real book one a week, talks about Beauty and the Beast and how the funk groove depicts the beast and the lovely melody Beauty. Give a listen and see what you think with Herbie Hancock on piano, Wagger Tizo on electric piano, Jay Graydon, electric bass, Roberto Silva, drums, and Aerto Moreira on percussion, and, of course, Wayne Shorter on soprano saxophone. From 1975's native dancer, Beauty and the Beast.
Let's stay with Wayne Shorter in this episode on saxophones, part three. He played with Art Blakey for a few years, Miles Davis from 1964 until past 1968, mostly playing tenor from 1971 to 85, was part of Weather Report, and in the mid-70s, which that last tune is from, he played soprano sax. Here's a tune from 1964 from his very popular Juju album with McCoy Tyner on piano, Reggie Workman bass, and Elvin Jones on drum. This one's called Yes or No, Wayne Shorter.
Wayne Shorter, yes or no? I say yes. There are so many wonderful and popular saxophonists that I'd like to play, and I'm sure that if I spent the whole year of a weekly podcast just on jazz saxophonists, I would not run out. But in the time I have left this week, I want to make sure that I play some uh, female saxophonists, because there's a lot of great uh, women players out there. And also, uh, I want to play some Canadian saxophonists. going to start uh, with uh, a man named Chet Doxis. He's one of the most creative Canadian tenor saxophonists, originally from Montreal, now based in New York. This is from his latest album called You Can't Take It With You on Whirlwind Records. It's called 12 Foot Blues from 2021 with one-time Bad Plus pianist Ethan Iverson and bassist Thomas Morgan. Chet Doxis.
12 foot blues chet doxis i haven't played any jane Bennett and makeke for quite a while a group of mostly cuban women performing with toronto soprano saxophonist jane Bennett, ranked number three on downbeat critics poll of soprano saxophonists this one's called little feet from their second album odara from 2016 jane Bennett and makeke
Jane Bennett and Makeke. I saw them live in Peterborough, Ontario a couple of years ago. A wonderful concert. Here's another female saxophonist and somebody else I saw live, this time where I'm living, now in Victoria, B.C., as part of the Victoria Jazz Festival, originally from Chile. Her name is Melissa Aldana, and she has a new album out that's making the Jazz Week charts. So I'm looking forward to hearing something from it. Here's the title track, 12 Stars, Melissa Aldana. lovely and interesting. Melissa Aldana, 12 stars. Finishing with the smoothest alto sax player ever, the writer of Take 5, who actually studied mathematics and whose career as a mathematics professor was given a blow because he became one of the world's most famous saxophonists, Paul Desmond, part of the great quartet of Dave Brubeck from the late 50s, early 60s. This is Take 10, his follow-up to Take 5 from 1964. 
My name's Larry Sademan. This is Discovering Jazz. Next week, singer, pianist, educator Louise Rose, a student of Duke Ellington's. And she talks about the Duke, and we play some Duke Ellington music. Bye for now. <laughs>